Welcome to Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. Every believer needs to understand who they are in Christ. In our series, Identity Theft, we'll do just that. Help each believer truly know who they are in Christ. Thank you for joining us. This is part B. You say, come on, God isn't that strict. Yes, he is. God, now keep this in mind, listeners. God is only present where it says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I will be as well. You need to understand something. Just because you're an indwelt believer doesn't mean he sends his presence. God's presence is where his holy word is. And where there are two gathered together in obedience to the holy scriptural guidelines of anything, the presence of God will be there. It's talking about two separate things when it talks about indwelt believers having the presence of God in them. Yes. Versus two or more gathered in his name, I will be there. Is he speaking with forketh tongue? Or is he communicating something? God inhabits, presence-wise, God inhabits his holy scriptures. That's why they're holy. That's the difference between our Bible and the Mormon Bible. God inhabits the holiness of his scriptures. His presence is there. It's why you read the Bible and are blown away. The same thing takes place in walking through the proper guidelines of resolving something. If you've come up with this homemade Jesus style of confronting someone that does not match what you're looking at on this screen right now, or listeners, if you're seeing it on your YouTube video, look at it, stare at it carefully. If you are not following these exact steps the presence of the living God will not inhabit or support your decision. It's null and void. And that's what's happened to our culture today is that people have adjusted the holy guidelines on how to resolve things and how to handle stress and persecution and difficulties for Christ's sake. We've adjusted it so much It is craziness to hear some preacher talk about the ordinances of the will of God. It's craziness. And that, my dear friends, is why I'm called a cult leader. Which I was reminded of by a pastor friend this week. You are so far out of the norm. So far from the norm of standardized Christianity, you're now the cult leader. Whereas before it was the opposite. You had these twisted cult leaders preaching this millennial-style Jesus, and all of us would say, well, they're a cult leader. Well, the definition of a cult leader 
was actually taking a group of believers and forming their own culture around it. And then they would go off to some land and drink orange juice or something because of whatever. See, it's completely flipped around. This is why the Lord knew this was going to be happening to this world. So he gave us immovable guidelines on how to handle someone who has sinned. It's very simple steps. Second question, what methods do gossipers use to cover their guilt? Because when you gossip, if you're human, you will feel guilty, even unsaved people. What methods of madness are used to cover your guilt? Did you enjoy the cover of our new uh, booklet, honey? It's a picture of two gals hugging. And the sincere one who is receiving the hug from this lady, the lady who is trying to hug back, has her arm around her friend with a butcher knife getting ready to stab her. And Jane goes, oh, that's nice, honey. But she learned very quickly that one of the Hebrew definitions of one who betrays is knife in the back. Sometimes it does have grave consequences. Physically, we don't see as much of that in our country. But certainly relationally there is murder that takes place day and night. They do. They smile on the outside while they have hatred on the inside. Now, something that rattles a lot of people's cages when they find out that I often, in my writings or often in, in presentations, talk about, I don't trust any human, comma, not even my wife. Now, I've said that for many years. Over all of the humanoids that are on the face of the earth, I trust my wife more than any of them. But see, I know how how the enemy works. The enemy can turn anyone outside of Jesus Christ, the enemy can turn anyone into one of betrayal. So what I teach people is you need to learn to trust Christ in someone which requires you first to be able to determine if they're actually indwelt by Christ. If someone is not indwelt by Christ, you're not going to get a gram of trust out of me. I will not trust a non-indwelt human, period. Now, an indwelt believer, I will trust Christ in them. That's the only person that you can trust, that you can have a 100% guarantee will not betray you in life, leadership, or in relationships. You will not be betrayed. 
if the person who has or houses the Holy Spirit inside of them, how in the world can you really trust if they're going to trust Christ in them so that you can trust them? You can't, ever. There are people that turn bad in their 80s, that run off into cornfields and put shotguns in their mouth and blow their brains off. It happens. There's Bible stories of old men and old women turning and deceiving and manipulating, and we call them our biblical characters. Jacob's wife, you would think maybe he would trust his wife. Isaac, you know, there's a long list. Their father, for Pete's sake, you think, could probably trust their boy's mother, but he could not. And she deceived him to get, you know, the story. Putting goat hair, you know, on the arm so that, you know, poor guy, dad was blind and he's feeling to see, you know, oh yeah, that's Esau. And really it was Jacob. His mother was helping him to deceive so that she thought the boy of the tent, Esau was a boy of the field. She thought he should have the inheritance and the blessing, so she sets up this whole deal. It happens. So if you just go by that one rule of trusting Christ in people, you got it made. Because the expectation of the vessel that's housing this powerful life of Jesus Christ will matter not to you. So you can love on them, care for them, Spend time with them, you know, relationship-wise, I believe it is even richer than before. But if I have expectation in Jane to cover all of my needs and, you know, help me spiritually, help me, help me, help me, I think that is not what God laid out for the foundation of me as head of my home. I need to trust Christ in her, and believe me, I do. And there are many times that I'll come and say, Honey, read this, and I'll just watch her. And if the Spirit of God is welling up into her, even though she's editing my material and slicing and dicing and taking out sentences, and, you know, I know that her focus is communicating the word of truth accurately. Is it not? So do I say that's Jane? Jane's gifting, as you know, is strong, immovable, and it will pierce your heart faster than probably most things you read or most people you listen to. It's because of her spiritual gifting and Christ pouring himself through it. Happens to all of us who are not afraid. But if you're afraid, you're a coward. And if you're a coward, then you're suppressing the Holy Spirit. That's how it works. I love the 602s on that because if you are not willing to admit that you're a coward because you're bound by fear, then what really is that? Because coward, you're going to discover in your study is one of the Greek definitions of fear. It's just that we're used to hearing the word coward thrown around like an insult instead of a reality check. 
And your speaker himself is saying, I am guilty all the more of being a coward by flesh. Final question is, what are the main ramifications of a gossiper not coming to you? So if you're in the presence of someone, now we're going to get really honest. If you're in the presence of someone and you are quiet and silent, when there is obviously distrust, there's obviously isolation between the two of you, there's obvious separation, and you are, let's say you're the guilty one, and you're smiling, and you're using every ounce of fake that you've got to maintain this 10 minutes so you can go away and gossip. In that moment, the victim is who I am talking to. What should you do? I wouldn't hug them. Not until you check for pocket knives. I certainly wouldn't take a kiss from them. But what would you do? Smile back. Hi, John. I know you make me sick. Okay. Now, did you guys hear that? If it, if you really have no testimony or proof that the person is indwelt. That hardship in the relationship is to help you work out your salvation. To love an unbeliever, love them without judgment, love them without whatever. She is watching me, and that is how people are led to Christ. You know, I I mistreated you, I threw you under the bus. You know, how come you were so nice to me? That's that's how that works. Now, if it's an indwell believer, even if you've heard out of their mouth that they claim to be an indwell believer, you have a different kind of responsibility. Now, if you don't have solid proof that they have gossiped about you, you still can approach them and say, John, could I... Can I talk to you real quick outside? So you step outside and say, John, I just, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I just got this feeling that you're uncomfortable being around me and like I'm offensive to you or something. So you can dig in a little bit to see what's going to come. Now, if they go, no, 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 I love you. Okay, you got to take it, right? Or if they say, well, you know, you just drive me crazy. Okay, how do I drive you crazy? See, it's our responsibility to pursue and try to turn the enemy into a friend. That's how it's supposed to work. But if you get the dun-dun-dun, you know, response, then you, you got to kind of let that work out your salvation. But you were not doing what they do. There's your key. You're not mirroring their behavior. Well, you don't talk to me, I don't talk to you. You know, you make me sick too. I just don't tell you. Maybe you can see it on my face. 
And some people literally, as they're approached by someone they don't like, they'll find a quick way to get to the kitchen or whatever the case may be because they don't, they don't want to deal with that. Those are the don'ts of it. Let's break it down a little bit more. The bottom line is, the scriptures tell us, particularly out of Proverbs, do not associate with a gossip. Now that seems to be opposite of what I just said. Me taking John outside and asking him a question is not associating with him. It is trying to get to the bottom of why we can't associate with one another. So he who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a gossip. If you are actually in the traveling circles of a gossiper and, and you think you're not at the victim's end of their bad habit of gossiping, but you're with them and you hear them gossiping about others, boy, are you deceived. You're on their list. Even if they're hanging out with you, do not associate with a gossiper is for that reason. You're on their list too. So if they're put into a conversation and your name comes up, they may not slaughter you slanderously, but you'll be on the talk list. Anything that puts them in a higher position in the discussion. So in a strange and like God way, I realize that most saved and unsaved people have gossiped about one another to such an extent that many victims have been destroyed, at least reputation-wise. Even though that might have been the goal for some of the gospers, and, and realistically it is, they, they are out to destroy. When we go through the series on betrayal, you're going to see it is very proactive. Once he comes out of the birthing canal of gossip, either by the receiver or the sender, betrayal is going to happen. Someone has to die. You see, when Judas gossiped about Jesus, who did he gossip to? He gossiped to the very people that could put death to Jesus. From that gossip, he became a member of betrayal. From betrayer, he became a murderer. He sold, which is the Hebrew definition for betrayer, selling a loved one to the enemy. And that's what you're doing every single time you're gossiping at 602-292-2982 is you are selling that person to Satan, the enemy, to use this situation that you're gossiping about. True story or lie story makes no difference because once it is birthed out of the gossiper's mouth, Someone has to die. And in Jesus' case, both of them died, which is what Hebrew custom says. Both die. And that's exactly what happened. Judas died by 
his own hand, and Jesus died by the hand of Judas, who was partnered, who associated himself with Satan. What did Jesus say? For you are of looked right into Judas's eyes after the kiss of death. Right after the kiss of death, I can actually see in my mind Jesus holding Judas back a little bit and say to him, for you are of the devil. Do what you must do. Someone has to die. Either relationally, reputation-wise, sometimes physically. In the Hebrew translated word of gossip, lejon, hara, in the Old Testament is defined as one who reveals secrets. A familiar traitor, which means family traitor. One who goes about as a talebearer or a scandal monger, creating scandals. A gossiper is a person who has privileged information about people and proceeds to reveal that information to those who have no business knowing it. In fact, studies show us that gossipers typically gossip to gossipers. So they have their own social network and it moves very, very quickly. You see, if they gossip to someone who's not a gossiper, what's going to happen to them? They'll be stopped in their tracks. Excuse me, you need to go to that person privately. I do not want to listen to this. Number one, they're not going to talk to you again. So you've protected yourself. Number two, they have been fronted with their own sin. And number three, you've increased of them not gossiping to the next person about what they're going to gossip to you about. In looking at our next slide, I further learned that Hebrew law and customs reveal that the harm done in speech is even worse than the harm done by stealing or by cheating someone financially. Money can be repaid, but the harm done by speech can never be repaid or repaired. In fact, within a custom that the Hebrews have, Al-Shiet, 11 sins out of the 43 confessions enumerated sins committed through speech. They go on to teach their children's children that betrayal of the Jewish family and traditions has no venue of redemption or restitution. That what is said in speech against their family is written in the hearts of the listeners for generations. That means they're going to tell their children's children what a rotten family that you, the one who is the victim of gossip, and so you carry on this reputation that the Smith family are a bad family. 
because of something said four generations ago. They call them feuds, don't they? Feuds of the clans. What are we fighting over? I don't know. It was our great, 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 great grandfather that was fighting about something. And man, we don't, we don't like the Smiths. That's how it works. That's what they believe. This is where they get their most quoted phrase, so it is said, so it is written. And the New Testament phrase that Jesus popularized was, what proceeds out of the mouth of man is written in the book of life. Every word spoken is in the book of life. And every one of us who have gossiped will be fronted. For this reason, we're in our next slide, for this reason some sources indicate that there's no forgiveness for le Hara, which is disparaging speech. This is probably a human additive by leaders, but it certainly illustrates the seriousness of improper speech. One of the tales that they tell at this annual celebration or confession is a man went about the community telling malicious lies about the rabbi. Later he realized the wrong he had done and he began to feel remorse. That's called guilt. He went to the rabbi and begged for his forgiveness, saying he would do anything he could to make amends. The rabbi told the man, Take a feather pillow, cut it open, and scatter the feathers to the wind. The man thought this was a strange request, but it was a simple enough task, and he did it gladly. When he returned to tell the rabbi that he had done it, the rabbi said, Now go and gather the feathers, because you can no more make amends for the damage your words have done than you can in recollecting the feathers. My conclusive statement is the point being a lie told is a truth never heard. You see, whoever and everyone in this room has gossiped. Whoever you gossiped about, whether it was true or not true, it has implanted in the mind of the receiver or receivers, which is usually the case. Don't ever believe that person. So even if that person did approach them at the grocery store or some other you know, point of entry in their lives, they have their guards up. So if they are a solid truth-sayer, and that's initially what got the rumors going, point being a lie told is a truth never to be heard. That person is condemned for generations. That's what the Jewish people believe. And the fact that the Jewish lineage has faded into even the Jewish society, culture, people. Someone's going to have to come and revive the whole thing. I think there's two prophets that are going to do it. 
And those two prophets are going to call forth 144,000 Jews, authentic Jews, real Jews, not Askenizer Jews, real bloodline Jews, to revive the reputation of Abba Father, who is pure Jew. Thank you for listening. We hope that you tune in again next week as we finish this whole series on You've Got Hate Mail. And we'll begin to open the door into the sermon title that we're going to take on on Betrayal and the Kiss of Judas. been listening to Identity Matters Podcast. We appreciate having you join us today. Feel free to log on to our website at www.iomamerica.org. We have lots of resources available for you on the believer's identity in Christ. Again, thank you for joining us.